Today on episode 62 of the Loose Change podcast, we recap the AFC and NFC championship games, go over the award races, let you know who we think is going to win, the favorites, and we also talk a little bit about Sean Payton and how he's going to handle fixing Russ and the Denver Broncos. Loosers, and welcome back to the Sunday edition of the Loose Change podcast. We figured that there's no football on this Sunday except for Pro Bowl nonsense. So we will instead provide you the football chatter and talk at the Loose Change podcast. Yes, we have, we, will. we have Ravens fan Kyle here, Eagles fan Tyler flying high, and of course, Bengals fan Dan. And maybe we should just start there, Dan. Um, the floor is yours. How do you feel about that Bengals game? Are you over it yet? I'm starting to get over it. It was a, a tough loss. feel like they didn't exactly put their best effort on the field compared to some of their other playoff games. So it's uh, it was a tough pill to swallow to see them not go down playing as good of football as I know they can play, at least on the offensive side of the field. I thought the defense stepped up pretty big in that game and then the offense surprisingly just didn't get it done at a certain point in the games when they had the chance to kind of take the lead Kyle you watched that game with me at a bar and uh we didn't have the game sound on I don't think super loud but we were watching the game what'd you think of it was it the Chiefs game to lose I felt as though it was the Chiefs were in control for most of the time and yeah, Miggles Van Dan was pissed off most of the game. So I feel so whoever yeah. ended on top was the better team throughout that game. Yeah, I, I definitely think that like the Chiefs just controlled the game pretty much the whole time because even though we we're looking at the score going, it's a three-point game. Dan, why are you so mad? <laughs> it's just like obvious that the Chiefs were in control of it, that the Bengals kept shooting themselves in the foot whenever they had an opportunity to maybe possibly get ahead, take a lead, you know, gain some momentum. They weren't. And, you know, it was really obvious that they they weren't taking advantage of those opportunities. And you have to when you're in the AFC championship game, right? Yeah. And I think we'll see that AFC championship matchup a lot in the future. In the next decade, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it four times. It's very possible. Like you got two of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Um, like anyone, in, myself included, that was anti-Burrow to watch him go out and make two consecutive AFC championship games. Like, you know, you look at some of these other guys that people say are some of the best QBs in the game right now. You look at, you know, the Justin Herberts, the Lamar Jacksons, like some of these young guys, like they are already lacking that playoff experience that Burrow has. And that's going to start to, make a huge difference in the playoffs. Yeah. And I do want to get to th- what this means for the Bengals going forward. Cause it's obviously great. You have Joe Burrow going forward. You feel really good as a team. I'm sure Dan, but on the oh, flip yeah. side, the chiefs going to the super bowl, we got the Kelsey bowl. We have Andy Reid against the chiefs. There's so many storylines, but one thing I want to focus on a little bit was how good Mahomes looked on that ankle. Yeah. He played just as good as he needed to. And Every single time, it's always some random guy. MBS, so annoying all season long, especially in fantasy, <laughs> right? And then he pops off for what was it, 110? My yeah. goodness. And so many of those were like third and fourth down plays too. Yeah. Mahomes in that offense, it seems unstoppable. I know they only got 23 points, but in a playoff atmosphere against a good defense. Got to give credit where credit's due. Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league absolutely yeah he wasn't a hundred percent but he didn't need to be he made those uh important plays on third and fourth downs and the Bengals just couldn't get those stops when they really needed to even though they were playing good defense for the most part uh yeah and congrats to the Chiefs they played a good game and I'm I was really surprised honestly as well to see like the penalties narrative because we definitely weren't really feeling that way during the game, at least when we were watching it from what I right. remember. The blowback on Twitter was very Chiefs-heavy refereeing. It seems like Bengals fans everywhere were super annoyed with how the whole game was refereed. And outside of that last play, which also straight up just is a penalty, 
You know what I mean? Like, I know yeah. it's a soft thing you can't end the game on, but it's yeah. also a penalty. Yeah. I don't think the refing was egregious at all. So my, my take on the refereeing is that the refereeing was actually very good by the book. But when you look at playoff football, like people expect that playoff football, you know, you let the players go out and play their game. So there's a lot less soft penalties um, because, you know, you don't see as many pass interference because those big calls are going to change the momentum of the game. And, you know, you want to let these guys, especially when it's not obvious, right? Well, exactly. But like a lot of these calls like that roughing uh, or unnecessary roughness on Mahomes at the end of the game, like that by letter of the law in the NFL is unnecessary roughness. Like you can't, yeah, it doesn't matter if he flops. Yeah. Doesn't it matter is, like, if he flops, he flops in the NBA. You see it in soccer all exactly, the time. Like yeah. all they're doing is they're exaggerating to make the ref realize like, that is a penalty. <laughs> so like, I mean, it's good on Mahomes to, to recognize that and take advantage of that to win a game. And like, th- it's not like the refs just called it. And it's and when not things like that happen as well. It's like, you shouldn't even be there in the first place. The Bengals had so many times had so many opportunities to like seize a lead in the game and they couldn't before that. So if you make that mistake in overtime, that's on you for not grabbing the lead earlier. Yeah, I and to your point, Dan, everyone's focusing or a lot of people are focusing on that one last play and making it bigger than it is. If that happens in the first quarter and it leads to a Chiefs field goal, is anyone talking about it? No, because everyone agrees it's, not, a, no. it's a penalty call. But the yeah, thing yeah. is, also to your point, Kyle, is the playoffs, and I can totally understand how pissed off Bengals fans would be if their season was lost over something so ticky tacky. Like that's not a part of, you know, the structure of their team. That's just a stupid penalty. And the Eagles lost the same way. The first loss of the season to the Washington, uh, I was going to call them the Redskins. Oh my God, cut that. The (laughs) commanders that when they were playing the commanders, Heineke literally like takes a knee in this really awkward knee at the last second while people were diving at him. They hit him by letter of the law. It's fine. That's a penalty, but it shouldn't have had to go that way because of the spirit of it. So I can totally empathize why Bengals fans are mad because I was mad earlier in these seasons. The amount of rules and stuff that they're introducing. It's like, I understand player health and safety, but like they're really taking away from the spirit of the game. Like you said, like it's, you know, you don't want to see a team win off some bullshit, like some guy taking a knee and getting hit. Like you don't want to see an AFC championship game. That's tied up with like a minute left to go. Burrow and Mahomes in almost their prime. Like, Like, you know, there's, there's, uh overtime possibility there like you want to see we like haven't the seen best the of new the overtime best. As, a, as a person that enjoys football and then you see Mahomes get that penalty out of bounds like it sucks for the viewing experience but at the same time to Dan's point you can't blame the game on that one penalty like the game was called that way the whole time that's right we you know it wasn't like they were not calling things all game and then called some soft penalty at the end like they that's were calling fair. everything by letter of the law in that game. So you have to go out and seize the day. You got to win that game earlier. And every sport and every game is different when it comes to the refereeing and every professional athlete in both those teams knew that, that you feel it out. And that's so true, Kyle. It was getting, it was pretty ticky tacky calls kind of throughout. I've seen a lot of offensive holdings. I was like, okay, sure. I guess so. Every play you can call it offensive holding, right? But they were doing it. So fair enough. I agree. Onto the Eagles game, there's not much to say because Hassan Reddick destroyed Brock Purdy. He might and be Josh Johnson and Josh Johnson and Josh Johnson. Well, that was uh, that was Sue No Dominic and oh, Sue that destroyed okay. Josh I thought, Johnson. I thought he got that one too because he's, <laughs> he's, sad, he's so savage. Um, but Hassan Reddick in the conversation for me as an Eagles fan for Defensive Player of the Year, he was electric. So I was watching this back. I someone was breaking it down. Um, oh, you know who it was? it was? I was watching the Pat McAfee show, and they have Darius Butler, former DB. NFL DB coaching and breaking down that play. Oh, he's great. Hassan Reddick was getting blocked by a backup tight end. Yeah. One-on-one. 
that's that's a mistake. That's a mistake. I wonder how many times Shanahan has watched that playback, being like, "How did we let our backup tight end, the worst blocker on the line, and we have a line of six people? I'm pretty sure. How did we let Hassan Reddick be one on one with him?" So my take on that, and like, I'd have to actually go back and rewatch the play to see like communication at the line of scrimmage but that, me, that's what it was that, that's an issue with having a young quarterback that's inexperienced in this league like you play mm-hmm. against one of the top defenses in the nfl as a good quarterback like you see these top quarterbacks you see mahomes you see burrow you see tom brady all these Aaron guys Rogers. like they they go to the line of scrimmage they see what the defense is showing them and they make adjustments so if uh, Purdy goes to the line and Hassan Reddick is lined up against your backup tight end. <laughs> you have to switch your protection or you have to switch to a play. That's like a uh, one and a half second throw. Like, that's such a good like, point. Like, Kyle. Yeah. So I, it's definitely an experience to me. Like, I don't know what the play call is, but as a, if you're an experienced quarterback in that situation, if Jimmy Garoppolo is in that situation, that does not happen. He checks down to a run. He gets the. He, checks, he does he not do to that. A run. He does, you know, a quick dump off pass or adjust his protection to slide his line over. He flips his running back to the mm-hmm. other side to help block. Like, there's so many ways that you can combat that, but the first part is recognizing it. And we should also give him credit. Like, he also did try to get the ball out fast, Kyle. To your point, he didn't help the protection as well as he should have. But that's just how quick Son Reddick was. Like, if you watch that playback, he. He dives and just exactly it's an immediate four three like it's he's right off the line it's crazy how quick that guy is um absolutely criminal that the cardinals had him as a stand-up linebacker for my mind you just read my mind (laughs) it's so criminal i'm pretty sure he had four sacks the year before he joined the eagles and now uh, this year he had um not sure like 18 one almost won a game it felt like every game he was getting one Definitely not 18. On like a decent year, I think. And then he went and signed a one-year contract with like the Panthers, I think. And uh, just looked okay. But man, he fits that Eagle scheme so well to have those like big ass bodies in the middle. And then this fucking Usain Bolt off the edge. Like, oh my God. I know with like Jordan Davis, we got Fletcher Cox and we got Brandon Graham and we have Josh Sweat on the other side. So like, how can you really block everyone? Well, not just how you block everyone, but like as a defensive coordinator, like that is your dream. Like you do (laughs) not have to have Hassan Reddick containing the run inside. Like you, you know, what's taken care of. Yeah. (laughs) Like you You have those Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis. You run a fucking straight line. You rip across the uh, right arm of that tackle and you go hit the quarterback. Like that's, that's your play call. And as a defense, uh, defensive player you're just licking your chops just waiting to go put your helmet into Brock Purdy's arm and give him Tommy John surgery <laughs> exactly what happened <laughs> and that shit sent them right to the Super Bowl Jason Kelsey on his podcast I love the New Heights podcast second best football podcast around behind the loose change um, he was discussing the sideline vibes during the third and fourth quarter and Apparently, it was very apparent throughout the Eagles' sideline at the third quarter that they won the game. They were starting to feel bad for the 49ers. Like, they were just, they weren't talking shit anymore. They were just grinding that clock down. You know what I mean? Like, they were, they knew they won because they were on their fifth string quarterback, or I guess Purdy came back and he couldn't throw. It was a rough game to watch. That was where you kind of knew that, like, the game was over. Because to seven at halftime, your quarterback can't throw. Yeah, honest to God, like if they put Kyle Juszczyk in as the emergency quarterback, I would have been more worried about the comeback than putting Brock Purdy in there, knowing that he literally cannot throw the ball. Like, yeah, you just you stack the box and then what? Like, I mean, sure, you've got CMC. He's going to get some yards, but you're not coming back from like whatever it was, 24 to seven lead at that point. Yeah, that's uh, 16 yeah. sacks on the year for uh, Reddick, by the way. 16? That's not yes. bad. I'm surprised no. he didn't make the DPOY in like a broader sense. I'm, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, why didn't yeah, he make five the... forced fumbles too. Yeah, like why didn't he make the DPOY conversation? But then you look at the names in there, it's 
Mika Parsons, Chris Jones, and Nick Bosa. I think it's hard to How? say Hassan Reddick had a better year than any of those guys except outside of Mika Parsons. I think was, um, he did have a better year than Mika, but yeah, I think that that's um, one of those situations where like Micah just gets so much press time, like he's a cowboy. So and fair gets, enough, he's also and people were really going to bat for him to be I, in contention. I think he's a dominant player, but yeah. at the end of the day, you know you can't. Give a guy the defensive player of the year award for what he's capable of. You have to do it for what he's done. And yeah. I think Hassan Reddick did more for his defense. Like uh, Parsons started off really hot and then he kind of fell off towards the end of the year just from watching. I don't know what the statistics look like, but um, it felt like it was the opposite uh, for Reddick because early on it didn't seem like he was, you know, doing too, too much. And then he just like got hot and he was just an absolute force on defense. Yeah, and I'm looking up the stats right now. He had 13 and a half sacks. I know he plays a different position a little bit, but if we're looking at just sacks, Hassan Reddick has two and a half more. And yeah. he was on the what? better team, and he had well, also more forced fumbles. Well, you have Parsons' stats pulled up. How many tackles did he have? Um, 65 combined, 23 assists. Uh, and, shit. Did he lead the league? No. He had a total of 149 in his career. Uh, last season, he had 65. Okay. Because, I, you know, I mean, that's the one thing with Parsons is he wasn't a straight-up edge rusher. He was dropping that's into exactly coverage a little right. bit more. So I see the point there. But... um. I don't even know. I'm curious. Wow. Chris Jones had a really good year quietly. Like, I didn't even realize he had 15 and a half sacks. Yeah. I like, I didn't understand at first why he got nominated. And then you look at the games he had and you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. As someone who watched a lot of Chiefs games this year, because I have Mahomes in two of my fantasy leagues, I see a lot of Chris Jones and he was very good this year. But and let's just jump into it. Let's start with the DPOY. We're going to go through all the awards right now. Um, Nick Bosa is the DPOY, though. I think that's pretty apparent, right? He had the best year. He had 18 and a half sacks. And his honor had a great year. He had two and a half more. Too, though. That, that's the other like crazy part with Bosa. Oh, yeah. Like, I forgot about that. He missed the start of the year. <laughs> so let, let's pull up his game log here. But he missed... Uh, and Kyle, you just pointed out Mika Parsons' tackles. Nick Bosa had 51 too. So, like, that's oh he's gosh. had 10 less tackles than Mika Parsons, and he had five more sacks. Am I kidding? He missed that? two games? No, he missed two games. He missed two games? Okay. Or so were those their buys? Um, I, I'd have to take a closer look at it, but I, uh, I remember him missing at least a couple of games. I think we might have left the game early or something. Week six and week nine, I think he was uh, out. Yeah, so he's even doing that in less time than the rest of the players. So Nick Bosa is our pick for DPOY, unless you guys have any disagreements. Man, he was an absolute force. Ever since I said he was better looking than Debo Samuel, he's been on a tear. And I'll take credit where credit's due. All right, let's go through the rest of the awards, starting with the big one, all right? Let's do the MVP. The MVP finalists, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Joey Burrow, and Justin Jefferson. For the MVP, they give five finalists. The rest of the words, it's three or four. Um, with these five finalists, do you guys have anyone that didn't make it that you think should have been in the conversation? Um, I I think that it's a pretty good top five. I'm happy to see a player like Jefferson included up there. Um, I honestly think that, uh, someone like Kelsey, not so much for statistical output, like he had a good season statistically, but just watching games, seeing what Travis Kelsey could do. I think he could be in that conversation as well, but otherwise I think that it's a pretty good list. And yeah, it is very, very much a QB award. And Justin Jefferson was the best non-quarterback in the NFL this year. 
I yeah, Tyreek Hill could have got a little bit of consideration there too because he wasn't too far behind Jefferson. Um, yeah, I agree with was, that. He was absolutely a difference maker on his offense. Definitely the best player for his offense. But when it comes to the MVP conversation, I did just list those five finalists. Mahomes and Hurts, to me, are one and two. And I have Jefferson number three. Mahomes and Hurts, we can have that conversation. But I think Justin Jefferson was more valuable to his team than even Josh Allen was to the Bills. And I know Josh Allen's a great player, an amazing player. You have to prepare for Josh Allen. But so so do you do. So so you have to do the same thing with Justin Jefferson. You don't have to give a shit about Kirk Cousins. That offense is let's double Justin Jefferson, have him get a quiet 230, and hopefully we win. That team sucks. The Vikings are not good. They quietly went 13 and four and Justin Jefferson quietly set many records for the Vikings. Yeah. Jefferson, he had 128 receptions for 1809 uh, yards. And then he had eight touchdowns through the air and one rushing. So like, I mean, I think that he probably could have gotten more touchdowns to get himself more solidified in this race with, and I mean, it's the top quarterback race, like to see him when it would be absolutely nuts. Yeah. But like, it was very clear watching any Vikings game that Jefferson was the best player on his team. And he was the reason they were winning games. They were down a score in almost every single game. And every defense knew the ball was going to fucking Justin Jefferson and the ball still went to Justin Jefferson (laughs) and they managed to win most of those games. And some of those catches he made were unbelievable highlight reel better than Odell's catch. He's such a well-rounded receiver. Like he's fast. He runs some of the best routes in the league. He's got amazing physical, very dirty, gritty. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Seems Um, like we're talking about receivers. Like if the award was like who's most valuable to their team this year, it has to be Justin Jefferson. But it's not exactly looked at it like that that way because we've talked about it before on the podcast. This man just jer- demands attention when he's on the field, and he still racks up numbers while drawing the defense's attention away, making his teammates better at the same time. And you know what's such a shame? Jalen Hurts, my quarterback and the best player and most valuable player in the league this year, he was leading votes he was leading vegas odds at the time of his injury he was supposed to be the mvp and then he misses two games those two games they lose and he somehow loses respect in the mvp debate i don't understand that people kept on saying well look at the team around him they lost without him he is the system i know the eagles have a good team but you know why they're good it's jalen hurts Yeah, like, I mean, I feel there's a couple of different pieces to this puzzle. I've, like, we've talked about the coach of the year um, consideration. Sirianni doesn't even get into the top three. So you're clearly not saying that this team is the best team in the NFC because of the coaching if Sirianni's not in the conversation. They go and they lose the games with Minshew at quarterback. And, you know, Jalen Hurts has one of the best seasons as a dual threat quarterback that we've seen in time, Um, just playing extremely efficient football. He never cost his team games. He was winning his team games. And that's where I think that there's just an issue with the award itself, because now how do you not put Jalen Hurts in that conversation if you're going to take Sirianni out of it like you're saying the team is so good but they couldn't win with Minshew and it's not a coaching thing so who the fuck is the one making this team win football games that's such a good point (laughs) I'm not suggesting that Mahomes can't be the MVP because he had a great year if you want to suggest Mahomes is the MVP give me reasons for Mahomes being the MVP but what a lot I've been hearing is just reasons Hurts isn't and I think that's absolute horseshit he had an amazing season with only six interceptions 13 rushing touchdowns and 22 through the air. Meanwhile, he's sitting most of the fourth quarter for several games because that's how far ahead he puts his team up. 
They scored yeah. more second quarter points this year as an offense than any team in league history. Like if he needed to score more, he probably would have every Can single we, time like, he's in the within 10 yards, you know, they're getting in. He is the system. Yeah. And I think he is the MVP. Yeah, I, I think there's a good argument. I think that it's an issue with the way that they set up the award where it's just basically best statistical quarterback. Mahomes throws 51-100 and it's his. You know, that's exactly like, right. But I think that that's wrong because you can look at other forces on that uh, Chiefs offense and obviously it doesn't run nearly as efficiently with uh, out Mahomes. But I think that, you know, there's a really good case to be made that Hertz is more valuable to his team um, both on and off the field too. Like, I think that Hertz is such a great leader of men. Like I, you constantly see this man hyping the boys up. They're playing hard. They're playing hungry. And then in Kansas city, you have Kermit, the frog telling everyone to get ready for a football game. So, <laughs> uh, I don't mean to take away from Mahomes' <laughs> no, leadership, I but I think you're absolutely right. Kyle at 24 and we forget that he's 24. Jalen Hurts still is. He is a leader of men. And look at the improvement from last year to this year. The and I keep people keep on confounding this idea. Oh, but look at the team he had. Look at the team he had. As if going into the season, we all thought the Eagles were better than the fucking Chiefs. Are you kidding me? The Chiefs were projected to get 12 wins. The Eagles were projected to get nine. Look it up. That's what it was at before the season. Eagles end up with the best record in football. The starting quarterback loses one game. One game. He goes 14 and one. I just, I don't understand why it's the way it is. You're right. We should change it from best statistical quarterback to most valuable player. And I think Jalen Hurts is that. I think that's clippable as hell, actually. That's going to be on Instagram later. What's up, Insta? What's up with it? All right. So, yeah, that's the MVP debate. What do you think about Mahomes, though? Because I think there's a valid reason he wins it. He also just did all this without Tyreek Kill. He, look how yeah, good the yeah. o- offense was with all these pieces he lost. Yeah. I think I mentioned it like when we were going through our top five quarterbacks earlier in the year. <clears throat> one of the big reasons Mahomes was number one on my list. I believe he was number one on my list. Uh, was one he's like super fucking talented, but he was operating really well with less this entire season. Like this was probably one of the sketchiest offenses he's had to work with so far. And just you know, Andy Reid's a smart head coach, but Mahomes is also the talented enough and a intelligent enough quarterback to work with what he had, and he made it look like nothing had really changed in a system where a lot of pieces had moved around. Uh, But once again, that's not looking at the stats. He was also the number one statistical quarterback this year. But I also like to think that if Jalen never missed any games, he could have also possibly matched Mahomes stat-wise. So those two games that Jalen missed hang heavy over his head, which sucks because you shouldn't really penalize him for missing games, but those might cost him the awards again, uh, the award against Mahomes, I think. Yeah. Especially, especially in a league where injuries are so frequent, like this is the most physical sport with, you know, injuries are an everyday thing in this league and you're going to penalize players for it in a, an award that, they work their ass off for every single week and rightfully deserved. Like I think hurts if he plays those last couple of games is the MVP. Yeah. Cause but... the Eagles also would have finished 16 and one, and then you would have definitely given it to that team. Right. Yeah. And then Sirianni is probably the coach of the year too. Yeah. Crazy how that one thing changes it. So hopefully we look forward and, it's not going to be next year, but over time, hopefully they start looking at this award a little differently. The yeah, DPOY we decided was Bosa. We have a good feeling about Mahomes winning it, but we think Hertz should yeah, root, have had way more consideration. Rooting for Hertz, but looking like Mahomes, unfortunately. Either way, I have money on it and I'm winning, so I'm happy. Offensive player of the year, honestly, they're probably going to give to Justin Jefferson because how I could you so. not? 
It, yeah. You could also argue Mahomes or Hurts could win it, but if MVP is the quarterback award, let's make OPOY the non-quarterback award, and Justin Jefferson's the best non-quarterback in the NFL. Yep, I'm on that train too. Yeah, I, we've I been think championing him all year. I there's an argument he... there that if Mahomes wins MVP, Hurts, you know, could get the offensive player of the year as well, just because he was an offensive weapon, wasn't just the best quarterback right. aka the mvp that's right. um, but I, I would like to see jefferson get this yeah. i always hate when that happens though they give the consolation prize to the quarterback that lost and then and then justin jefferson's account. gonna leave the season without any awards despite yeah, how good of a bullshit. season he had. that's well give him like the comeback player of the year award just because we don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. speaking <laughs> of what is that <laughs> yeah the Still nominees figured it out. the nominees so are against... saquon cmc oh. and gino so I, let's so decide what that is you know winning this like i love the gino turned it around are you like, what did you come back from bro like, being bad from being bad <laughs> <laughs> he was in the gutter man he came you back over... from being bad that's so yeah, funny like... Uh, if anything, I think that that's, you know, a reason to have someone like Pete Carroll in the coaching of the year award, right. but like, I just, I, I love what Gino did. I don't think he did enough to earn, you know, offensive player of the year awards. And because he didn't do that, it's like, they're giving him a consolation to that for, you know, turning it around and having a good season, like good for you, Gino, but like fucking Saquon Barkley and CMC had season ending injuries. <laughs> so CMC played like seven games in the last three years or something yeah like and, and even the way gino like played towards the end of the year it wasn't exactly how he started the year because when he exactly started right. off the year he was like top five quarterback and then as the year tapered off he kind of fell down the ladder again and they were finding ways to win games but it wasn't because gino was like popping off like he was at the beginning of the year uh yeah and i know you're not supposed to like factor in the playoffs but the giants made it further than the seahawks so and look who the giants are they are richie james <clears throat> isaiah hodgins and saquon barkley it is saquon 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 isaiah saquon saquon isaiah <laughs> danny dimes run saquon touchdown that is their playbook that is their play calls and they got them to nine seven and one after they were they had a four win season last year so yeah, and on the flip side, Seattle has DK Tyler Lockett, which is just Kenneth, Kenneth Walker. Walker. <laughs> That's a good point. So CMC or Saquon, then it seems like we've cut Gino from this discussion. It's a great story, though. We don't have it's any hate for Gino. We love Gino. Yeah, I don't, there was a point where he was probably my comeback player of the year. I think like, we talked about this at the point. half point of the season. We all picked Gino, yeah. I think, but he was not as good at the last half of the year. So no. now we should give it to the guys that came back from injuries we thought they'd never be the same again like could you imagine being the guy that like busted his fucking knee missed a whole season of football came back and had an amazing year and they give the award to some guy that just literally was bad last year like he yeah. came back from the bench yes yeah. like, like... oh you mean the guy that has been a bum since 2014 that's <laughs> yeah, the guy that like... beat me i, I yeah. just rehab for seven hours a day for the last two years that's so funny yeah. so for oh me it's God. saquon though i i saw yeah. a couple giants games this year it's saquon over cmc i agree I, I love that saquon has turned it around coming back from his acl injury and like didn't look the same last year and then really showed out this year so yeah yeah and he really makes that team work so oh, he is the engine of that yeah. team for sure but I'll say this. I We talked about it earlier in the year. I think CMC is the best running back in the league. And that touchdown so run good. against the Eagles in the playoffs, like that legit got me scared for a second. I'm like, oh my God, CMC might win this game for them still. Like yeah. maybe just give him the ball. This guy was breaking tackles left and right. He is such a good football player. But Saquon is the comeback player of the year. And coach of the year should be Nick Sirianni. But the nominees aren't. The nominees are Brian Dayball for the Giants. Fair enough. I have no problem with any of these nominees. Doug Peterson leads the Jags to a division title after the Urban Meyer fiasco of last year. Kyle Shanahan with Brock Purdy, the third stringer, leads the 49ers to the second best record in the NFC. And I think they won 10 games in a row. 
for yeah. losing to the Eagles. You got to give credit where credit's due. All three of these coaches should be in the conversation. I think Nick Sirianni should be too, but enough Sirianni talk. Let's talk to these three guys. What do you think, Dan? Honestly, when I first saw the nominee list, I was kind of surprised because there were a few head coaches I thought were going to be on the list and weren't, like Sirianni. Maybe, yeah, it's uh, a short list. There's only other, three. Yeah. A few other teams that uh, had better records, maybe. I thought they were going to lean towards that. Uh, but it looks uh, – honestly, after looking at the list, though, I kind of like it because there are, like, the comeback story coaches – coaches that had to deal with tough that's what coach of the year really is dan it's it's not who's the best coach it's oh we didn't expect you to be that good (laughs) but that narrative has been changing like it used to be best record like it was just like you had the best record in the league you probably won coach of the year but we're seeing that change like to see sirianni and andy Reid, like you got the two one seeds and neither of their coaches are in the coach of the year the coaches in the super bowl aren't in the coach of the year conversation i but yeah the the giants are a great story though so i love dable he's uh i love care how we're getting some characters at the coaching possessions now they're just bunch of bell bella checks right i would um, totally have a beer with brian dayball he's my number one coach on this list i have a beer with for sure yeah <laughs> yeah he just seems like a great guy just a classic football dude um and he's like look what the, he's done with like what he's had in new york like i i don't think anyone expected them to sneak into the playoffs this year and they managed to. They played decent football well enough to get them in. And Dave, I think Dave is a big part of that because. So he's your pick? I I think so, yeah. I think I'm, I'm leaning towards Dave here. What about you, Kyle? I have to lean Shanahan. Um, I loved a couple of things that this team did. Like they started off really slow at uh, three and four, I think it was, before they went on their run. But to turn the whole team around on the back of a backup quarterback, you know that Shanahan was involved in going out and acquiring CMC. So I think that a good coach, um, and we kind of touched on it a while ago with Mike McDaniel, a good coach is willing to take accountability, take a step back and look for things that need to be changed. So for Shanahan to take a step back, go talk to his GM and realistically tell him they need to be in the CMC sweepstakes to go out and get a player like that and still manage to go on that absolute tear with a, an, a seventh round draft pick at QB yeah, is just insane. And they were still one of the best teams in the league. So I think that uh, Shanahan deserves the award this year. And um, yeah, I, I expect it because of the record that that's going to, bump him up as well yeah and you're right kyle i think recently the coach of the year conversation it's changed a little bit so it's a lot it's a little bit more of hey it's not who's the best record it's hey who has the better record than we expected who has the best record compared to where we thought you'd be almost yeah no one picked the jaguars winning that division even halfway through the season, everyone was like, is this really happening? Are they going to burn out soon? They got better and better. And I know you shouldn't count the playoffs because it's a regular season conversation. But look at that comeback first round against the Chargers. You're telling me you take this Urban Meyer beat up team like he almost ruined Trevor Lawrence, the best prospect to come out of the college in a decade. And look at where he is now. Everyone's all of a sudden turned their leaf on Trevor Lawrence. Look at all these players that they got. This team was the worst team in the league last year. And now, despite not picking that good of a player first overall, they are the best team in their division. So I'm giving it to Dougie P. So my argument against DeBoer and Peterson is that I think that the coach before them just made their team worse. So that when they took over, they're uh, obviously you didn't expect a lot of wins. So it like set them back further than they should have been. And made the expectations low. (laughs) Literally, because like, I mean, Joe judge sucked. Urban Meyer sucked. Like, yeah, those are the two worst coaches in the NFL. 
like I want to know what the expected wins were of those teams like the first year that those coaches took over because they had talented prospects on their teams. Sure, they probably weren't projected to be a playoff team and coaching does make a difference there. But, you know, you're seeing that difference from like they're probably projected this year to each get like four wins and they made that big jump. I think they could have each gotten six or seven wins if they just had a coach that wasn't absolute doo-doo. I think that's a good point, Kyle. I'll I'll give you that, and I would not be surprised if Shanahan won. And Shanahan had a great year. It's one of those yeah. awards where honestly, whoever wins, you're kind of just like, they did coach well. Fair enough. I, yeah, I, I do think that all three are very deserving. So let's go through this one quickly. Assistant coach of the year, Ben Johnson, OC of the Lions, D'Amico Ryan, now the coach of the Texans. Um, he's the, he was the DC of the 49ers, the best defense in the league. And then Steichen, OC of the Eagles, the, I'd say, best offense in the league. Who do you guys think should win assistant coach of the year? If you have a strong opinion, shout it out. Uh, I'm riding the Ben Johnson train. I've been firmly on the Lions all year. And a lot of that is because I was really impressed with what their offense was able to do with the minimal amount that they had to work with. Like I look at the 49ers defense and I would hope that a defensive coordinator (laughs) can find ways to utilize (laughs) all of those pieces. I would hope that Stains, or Shane Steichen can figure out ways to utilize fucking Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Yeah, You go over to Detroit and you've got Jared Goff. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown had an amazing year. You didn't have your first round rookie wide receiver available for most of the year. And right. you literally ran this offense through Jamal Williams and a really good offensive line. Like they were one of the top scoring offenses in the league. Uh, played way above expectations. And when you looked at their roster on paper, you thought they're probably worse than the Texans. Right. Their best two receivers, their number one pick wide out and Amon Ra, both missed, both missed a significant amount of time as well. So they're yeah. playing with Khalif Raymond and DJ Shark and Jared Goff and their number one running back was out and they posted a top three offense. Yeah, it's very deserving that you step into that role as OC and you get creative enough to turn a team that on paper isn't really like you you don't have a bunch of amazing athletes on that team. Like obviously they're professional athletes, don't get me wrong, but you stack it up against some of these players on other offenses and teams that could have been way better than they were. I think that, you know, the Lions offense was way above expectations. You agree, Dan? Yeah, I'm agreeing. If you, when you make DJ Chark put up numbers, you're doing something right. Absolutely. <laughs> Offensive rookie of the year. These guys put up numbers too. Gary Wilson, I never really noticed because I don't watch a lot of Jets games, admittedly. One of the least watched teams in my books. Um, but he put up like a thousand yards and a bunch of touchdowns with a team that wasn't really good offensively. Kenneth Walker was the heart and soul of that. Seahawks offense. I know they have DK Metcalf. Gino was a great story. Tyler Lockett had a touchdown in basically every game, but Kenneth Walker first, second down, he was getting the ball and he was grinding those defenses. I think Kenneth Walker had a great season and should be the guy, but it's also hard to argue Brock Purdy's story. And now we're looking at an RB, a wide receiver, and a quarterback. Kyle, how do we like navigate this and pick an offensive rookie of the year here? It's such a difficult um, award to predict. But my thing is, like Brock Purdy had way less games under his belt. Um, and for the same reason, I am also not considering Kenneth Walker. Like we've seen something like the MVP shift drastically because Jalen hurts missed two games. Right. So you have players like Kenneth Walker who missed, I think he missed like what, three or four games, three games, um, and two games. Okay. So, um, but I mean, two games is still a lot in the NFL. And and he missed missed the first half of the season, like (laughs) start until like week eight. So like, yeah, they both played really well when they were on the field, but I look at a player like Garrett Wilson and I've been on this train for the last couple of months. Yep. You've heard it on this podcast. He's battled through quarterback controversy. He's been as consistent as consistent gets for this offense. And he's been a bright spot in an otherwise 
difficult to navigate offense that lost Brees Hall um, to injury early on and had to really shift. And like he's had Mike White, Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco as his QBs and still put up an 1100 yard receiving season. I just think that he deserves it. Yeah, and it kind of sucks. It feels like he's had a really good season as a rookie, but kind of flown under the radar because no one's been focusing on the Jets' offense. Only really Pretty talking much. about how, how how much it sucks. Yeah, where I feel like uh, Purdy and Walker have really benefited from being teams like with a good story, getting lots For of sure. media coverage. That's why it's like I want Kenneth Walker to win just because I. The Seahawks have been looking for a running back for so long, and like a consistent one, and they I feel like they finally found it in Kenneth Walker. And so I just love to finally see like that key to fit into a, a lock they haven't been able to unlock for a long time. Since Marshawn. Yeah. The Seahawks um, have been looking for a healthy running back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking Chris Carson. I'm thinking Rashad Penny. It all nice looks to... so good when they're there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Defensive rookie of the year. Let's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, do the that, defensive rookie of the year pick, and then we'll do D D R O Y because I want to wrap it up soon. Yeah, Walker for me, but I think Purdy might win. To be honest, just because of the the media coverage. Yeah, I have money on Walker, so take that bias into perspective. And I still think that it's either going to be Garrett Wilson or Purdy. My vote would probably go to Wilson, but we'll see. Defensive rookie of the year. A little bit easier to navigate. There's Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen, both corners, both amazing seasons. And if either of them won it, I wouldn't be mad at all. And Aiden Hutchinson, DE of the Lions, what a player. Some of the plays that he made, that one play where he, remember, is like blowing up all of our Twitter where he like basically pretended to not be on the field. Like he was on the corner and then just burst out of nowhere, interception. I love players like that. He's an athletic freak. I know Lions fans in our group chat are super pumped for him. But do you think he had the best year defensively as a rookie? It's so difficult to compare an edge rusher to cornerbacks. But, like, I I do think that moving forward, Hutchinson is going to be a guy that's in the defensive player of the year conversation with the Nick Bosa's and TJ Watts of the NFL. Like, I think he's going to be that good. Um, I don't think he did enough this year to be out someone like sauce that has, I like, I mean, I've always been the, the person that's been a little bit down on sauce because I see a lot of cherry picked stats. There's no doubting that he is realistically probably a top 10 corner in the NFL at this point you could definitely argue higher but I think a lot of that comes from the media attention and while we talked about the Jets offense that didn't get media attention except for all of its errors the Jets defense did get a lot of media attention and sauce is a character like Mm. he got his name out there he's constantly tweeting at people to vote him for things and like his name is sauce Like, yeah, like, I mean, it's electric, but so like, I look at that and like, I don't follow any of these guys on Twitter or social media. I see sauce gardeners shit all the time. I have not once seen Aiden Hutchinson or Tariq Woolen (laughs) out there engaging with fans. And like, win awards, man, this is a fucking media award. Like, I mean, like, you know, all of these awards, like it it comes down to painting, like he's doing well. (laughs) Yeah. Like you want votes, go get them. Like, I mean, obviously your play on the field speaks volumes. And I think that all three of them have a, a fair argument to win this award, but I look at it as a media award and I think sauce takes it. Yeah. And I think if you swapped the draft capital, like if Tariq Woolen was drafted where sauce was had sauce's name, and personality with Tariq Woolen's stats, Tariq Woolen would win it. I think Tariq Woolen had the better performance yeah. between the two. But you're right, it's Sauce Gardner's award because it's a media award. That's absolutely a lock. If you can still bet that, like somewhere, that is the yeah. biggest lock of this, I think. And you can probably get a decent odd of it still. Um, but that's the awards. We'll hear about it on Thursday, I believe, Kyle. You said that that's when they're announcing the awards. Yeah, I think it's they're doing it on Thursday this year, which is a little odd because they normally did it the Saturday before the Super Bowl. But um seems like they're switching it up. It'll probably have 10 times more viewers than the Pro Bowl this year because 
I don't know anyone that watched that shit. Yeah. And next but. year, um, sorry, next year, next week, we'll get into the Super Bowl conversation. This is our Sunday episode. Next Sunday is the Super Bowl. We'll probably post our Super Bowl preview Thursday or Friday. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about some coaching changes just before we wrap up the episode. All right. Um, there's not a lot of coaching changes I want to get into because we have all offseason to talk Colts and Cardinals and Frank Reich to the Panthers. But let's focus not on D'Amico Ryan to the Texans, but Sean Payton to the Broncos. And my simple question is, will he fix Russ and the Broncos offense? Do you think it's possible? And do you think he will do it? Dan, I'll start with you. I've always thought, I've always thought of Sean Payton as a, a defensive minded coach. Um, really? The Saints scream defense to you? Well, it, maybe it's just him putting out hits on players that bounty hunter. I just feel like the Saints have always been like a well, not exactly recently, but for a long time they were like a a feared defense in the league. Well, not a feared defense, but like a statistically yeah, like, people thought they absolutely yeah but just always i'd i'd have to go look but i feel like the saints have been like a top defense like not the past few years but like 10 years like five years ago maybe anyways but him as an offensive coach i I, i'm asking you about the offense dan do you think he can fix the offense for the broncos the broncos defense needs no fixing yeah, and that's the thing. I think he could maybe take the defense up another level, but this offense has pieces, so I'm hoping he can make it work. But I've seen him do some funky things with players like Alvin Kamara that doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know if he can uh, exactly fix a Russ that I don't know if Russ can be fixed by anyone, to be quite honest. Kyle, the Broncos must really think so because they gave up a first, which is a 30th overall pick, and a second to get Sean Payton and a third-round pick back. Are you on board with the Broncos giving that much up? Yeah, that was a lot, right? That was a bunch of jibber-jabber, but I'd say Payton will get them wins. I don't know if he'll fix Russ. That's That's a good way to put it. And also, I don't know if he has a Kamara or a Michael Thomas. I think the Saints have better offense weapons than the Broncos do now. I'm not sold on Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I I have such a difficult time with the compensation of this. Like, first and foremost, we've seen trades for head coaches before, and it was like John Gruden, who had won like multiple Super Bowls and was strongly considered one of the best quarterbacks in the league at that point. Um, like Sean Payton, he's a really good head coach. He also rode the coattails of Drew Brees for his whole head coaching career. Yeah, he also had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a he has a history of like his whole career is offensive. So you know, Dan, um, (laughs) he's a quarterbacks coach, offensive assistant, like offensive coordinator. Um, he had a lot of experience as a quarterbacks coach. So I think that's why they went out and got him. But like his career record is 152 wins to 89 losses. So he's got like a 63% win record. Like that's not and that's what matters really is the win record. Like, I really don't think that he's worth a first, a second. Like, I mean, you're getting third back. Well, a first and you're a paying them like 15 to $20 million a year for the next five years too. You're paying him a ton of money. And this is very much, this is a very bold move from Broncos management because we talked about it earlier with the Bradley Chubb trade. Denver realized they fucked up trading for Russ and they needed to recoup a first round pick. So they went and traded uh, Bradley Chubb. So they go and they get a first round pick back. Then they go and they trade it away for a head coach. Like there's so many head coaching candidates out there that they could have gone after that are like young offensive minded coaches where, yeah. You so know, if you, you look at compensation in and out, Kyle, it's like Bradley Chubb for Sean Payton. Almost. Yeah. It, 
it's just wild that they they gave up all this compensation to go get Russ. They fucked up and they're they're literally doubling down is what they're doing. They're pushing their chips in and saying we're going to give this a shot because we have no choice but to ride out the Russ contract now. So I have a really difficult time with not adding talent to your stinky team that played poorly. You traded a stud edge rusher, which is a luxury in this league. And you went and got a coach with a 63% winning record, one coach of the year award, one Super Bowl, And he had hall of fame quarterback Drew Brees the entire time. Like I just, I, I don't see like, I look at someone like John Harbaugh, for example. I think John Harbaugh is more valuable than Sean Payton. If the Ravens managed to trade John Harbaugh for a first and second round pick, I'd be fucking laughing. Like, I'd be so happy. Yeah, like, Sean Payton has to be a top three, five coach in the NFL if you want that type of compensation back, no? Like, like if, if someone like Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, someone like that was available for trade, sure. But, like... Sean Payton's not that guy to me. He's not a, you know, top five quarterback in the league. Like even now that he's in Denver, like I don't look at him as a top five quarterback right now. Top five coach. Quarterback coach. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And Dan Wilson went four and 11 as the starter for the Broncos. They only averaged 16.9 points per game with Sean Payton coming here. We're losing a first pick and a second round pick. The Broncos going into the next year, if they have the same players, there's no way we turn 16.9 points per game into like 25 points a game, are we? It'd be, yeah, it'd be tough to see a a big improvement, especially when they can't go after any new young weapons. Like they, because they trade away all their picks, they'd have to somehow improve through free agency. I don't know what the free agency is exactly. And they don't have like a lot so of money. Far. Yeah. <laughs> Because well, they, they paid Russ a shit ton. Yeah, exactly. So they've really backed themselves into a corner. I'm so yeah, and like Kyle said, like there's so many young, good offensive minds in football, and the way football's going, it's kind of confusing to see them go after a like older veteran coach when it seems like the game is changing towards kind of finding like new uh, young offensive minds to make your team better in a new and creative way. And it's weird that they go the old school route when there are probably some young QB whispers out there that are just as good as Sean Pate when it comes to helping a quarterback find out their thing when Sean, Sean Pate, like we've, we've agreed that Sean Payton might improve the record a little bit. But so maybe so would a a different offensive minded coach as well. But it didn't cost a first and a second round pick. Exactly right. Like why get back yourself into more of a corner? Like I, I would have personally loved to see the Broncos go out and get someone like the quarterbacks coach from Seattle. Like that's I, a guy that's worked directly with Russ for years. We saw mm. Russ realistically play at an MVP level despite no votes for it. Um, but top he 10 quarterback was, level every single year, every season. Like if he had kept up that pace, we're probably talking about Russ as a hall of fame quarterback at the end of his career. If he retired and, after, before getting traded to Broncos, he's a hall of fame quarterback. Everyone yeah. would agree. So like, why not go get someone that he's familiar with? Like you've seen other teams go out and like sign Nathaniel Hackett was who they had originally acquired in Denver. Cause they wanted to get Aaron Rodgers. So you got Russ. Why don't you go get a coach? that is an offensive minded guy doesn't cost you picks that you don't have and is already familiar with Russ. I mean, and look how Gino played. Like if you're a Seattle quarterback versus a Broncos quarterback, like the Seattle quarterbacks just play better. Let's get their quarterbacks coach. That makes more yeah. sense than Sean and Denver Payton on the surface level. I think Denver very much could run a similar offense to what they're doing in Seattle. Like they have all of the right pieces. Like they have and a somewhat... way better defense. Exactly. So I think that if I was Broncos management, I first and foremost, I wouldn't have traded Chubb for a first round pick unless I was using that to make the team better. I think that I would have held on to Bradley Chubb and I would have gone out and signed a young offensive minded uh, coach, someone like um, the quarterbacks coach in Seattle that can really turn that team around and has worked with Russ versus trading away your stud 
edge rusher for a first round pick to go get an old coach with a record. Like, it's just, I don't know what they're thinking there. Yeah. I don't think Russ is going to cook partly because of his weapons, not being as good as they've been in the past, his team not being as good as it's been in the past. And I just think that Russ isn't that good anymore. I think in the modern NFL, you have to be a bit more mobile and he's just not a good enough pocket passer to be this guy. He's not Tom Brady. I don't think he's as good as those guys. And he's certainly not Hurts. He's not Mahomes. He's not Allen. So I just, yeah. I think you have to, you have to work with Wilson. You have to put him in the right situation. And he's no longer the guy that you go ask Cook. And he never yeah. really was. And we used to see, I feel like, Russ throwing a lot more on the run. He was known as the guy that was a pretty good, like when they uh, were making the Super Bowls, yeah, yeah, mobile passer kind of guy, and yeah, now we don't really see that. And like you said, Tyler, when you're that short and have to be a pocket passer, it can it can be tough yeah, out there. It can be tough. Like, you have to, be especially when like you that. start to degrade. Right? We saw it with yeah. Drew Brees as well. Well, but like you have to be a pocket pr- passer that's the equivalent of someone like a Drew Brees to keep carrying on at this point in your career. Yeah. You've seen it with like players like Cam Newton, where when they get older and less mobile, they their reads are very different. They try to make throws that they can no longer make, and it just changes the whole offensive style. Yeah, so I don't feel as though we are feeling optimistic about it, but we have a whole offseason to discuss the Broncos. Um, and I look forward to later in the week when we get pumped for the Super Bowl. We're going to go through the oh, whole matchup. Baby. I'm going to preview and tell you why the Eagles are winning the goddamn Super Bowl and why Miles Sanders is winning Super Bowl MVP. Miles Sanders on the next episode of the Loose Change podcast. CJ Gardner Johnson, Super Bowl MVP. You heard it here first.